It's a year ago, just over a year ago, that Pravin Gordon, the last bulwark against corruption, was kicked out of the cabinet. Extraordinary. A year. It's only four months yesterday that the ANC voted for a new direction rather than to go the Zimbabwe route. Yesterday, the new president was at the Commonwealth Conference in London where he started talking to members of the Commonwealth about how they should be pulling together. Why is this important? Well, there's 7 billion people on Earth and 2.4 billion of them are in the Commonwealth, the old British Commonwealth. That was a stat that Cyril Mapoza gave yesterday. So there's, there's interesting stuff going on. But just remember, as a family, or as a like invited guest to your family, I'm going to be telling you a few things that, 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 are, that are pretty honest. Uh, well, everything's honest, but it's, it's a bit blunt. But I urge you just to stick with me. Because it's a confusing time. We're now going through the fourth industrial revolution. You might have heard the first one was when the British invented steam and they changed the whole world by using steam as a technology to, to conquer most of Earth. That's why 2.4 billion people today, almost half of humanity are members of the British Commonwealth. It's many England now, not Great Britain, but the impact is still there as well. Then there was the second industrial revolution and that, that, that one was electricity. And the third one was computers. And the fourth one, the one we're going through right now, is digital. And when you have these revolutions, when you have changes, you have confusion. And you have people not really knowing what's going on. And you have people seeking new paths. And we're sitting in South Africa thinking it's just us. We think that the difficulties that we have seen are a national issue. They aren't. They're international. Donald Trump was elected into the presidency of the United States through various means. Um, I'm not going to go into a thing called Cambridge Analytica, but if you want to know the gory detail of how an election was stolen, go and read about that. That's why Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook was in, Parliament, in the American Parliament last week. Because there's a dark side to digital as well, where you can change people's opinions through things like fake news. But when you have this dramatic change, when you have things that are altering, you need to keep just two things in mind. And those two things are God against arrogance and complacency. Because when the world is changing and you start thinking you know what is happening. That's called arrogance. And that also puts you on the wrong path. Complacency is you say, what it won't affect me. So please, if I can leave you with one thing, that is just bear those two issues in mind. Arrogance and complacency. Because if you guard against those two, you'll get a huge dollop of humility. Because we really don't know. When I was, uh, my kids now, 28 and 27, when they were young, sitting at the table, you know, Dad would tell them what to do. Uh, yes, this is the way that you should be handling this affair. Oh yes, no, I'll explain to you how the world works. Uh, uh, you can't try that today, because when they're sitting at the table with uh, looking at the You Think Facebook page, actually they're not, they're Googling what you're saying to decide whether or not they can believe you. 
And most of the times, Google's right and I'm not. Those are the realities of the world that we're living in now. But in this chaotic world, in this world where, where we're all confused, there are ways of, of getting to the answers. And that means sometimes just taking a little bit of a perspective, taking a little bit of time out. I'm in a very fortunate position. My, my business, BizNews, is expanding globally. For the last two years, I've been based in London. And you get an interesting perspective of your country when you're based in another part of the world. Because you start realizing that South Africa is very small. One half of 1% of global economic activity is here. It's like a cork in the ocean. The rest of the world has its swells and South Africa just goes along. Trevor Noah says, and he's a big, big, big star internationally, I'll have you know. Trevor Noah says that the problem with my country, though, is although we are very small, the rest of the world goes in one direction, we've got to go the other way. And eventually we get pushed back onto path, but we go the other way. And the story today that I'm going to share with you and give you the facts is how for the last nine years we've been going the other way. It's not like we didn't know. We've got Zimbabwe sitting just north of us, where the economy is compounded by more than half, where 90% of the people don't have a job. But we thought we could try it again. And to show you exactly how things have changed, in 1994, when the new government came in, South Africa accounted for 48% of Sub-Saharan Africa's economy. So if you took the whole of Africa south of the Sahara, 48% of the economic activity was in South Africa. That's the red dot. In 2016, it was down to below 20. It's a bit sobering, that. And this is a, a, a reflection of it. The graph you can see at the right is what's happened with Sub-Saharan African economy, the red one. And the blue one is South Africa. And as you can see, most of the damage was done in the last nine years, where Sub-Saharan Africa shot up and South Africa went backwards. We're talking as a family now, and this is really a dirty picture, because this is South Africa's economy, from the World Bank, by the way, these numbers. This is South Africa's economy in US dollar terms, what we call GDP, economic activity in this country. And since 2011, economic activity has gone backwards. Now, if you're in an industry which relies on economic activity as yours, and it's going backwards, what happens to your business? Sometimes you just got to be grateful that you're still alive. Sometimes you've got to fuss and wait for the tide to turn. Since 2011, to 2016, this country's economy has gone from, in US dollar terms, about 450 billion to under 300 billion. It's down by 25%. That is the contraction that matters. Now imagine you have a business where 25% of your market disappears and your costs are fixed. It becomes a very, very difficult way to make a living or, in fact, to elevate your emotions and get excited about things. We've had it hard in South Africa. Very, very hard. And unfortunately, mostly because it was self-inflicted. 
South Africa has had industrial scale corruption. Pravin Gordon estimates that 100 billion rand was siphoned off by the Guptas alone. That's the equivalent of three percentage points in VAT. So our VAT went up, but in fact, if the Gupta's not been here, we could have cut it by 2% and then had the same result. It has been an extremely difficult period. But kind of worse than this is when you have a hard time, you usually go out there and you borrow to stimulate activity, you know, in your own businesses. When you borrow, you better implement that cash and make sure that you grow as a result of it. Otherwise, you've just got a bigger problem, which is what South Africa had. If you have a look at that graph, and this is the dirty picture that, that every school kid in South Africa should see, because this is their future, it shows how brilliantly the economy was managed post about 96, up until 2009. It's debt to GDP. What that means is just there's the size of your economy and how much debt you've got related to the size of your economy. Very, very important because if you have debt as a country, you have to repay that debt or you pay interest on it. And the biggest single item in our budget in South Africa is interest. So when you borrow, make sure that you, you put that money into something that's going to grow so that you will be able to then pay less or your economy will grow and as a consequence you have a positive cycle. As you can see from this, it's one way upwards in the debt of South Africa relative to the economy. So on the one hand you've got our economy going backwards for the last between 2011 and 2016. On the other hand you've got debt going upwards. That is massive and awful economic mismanagement. And who feels the impact of economic mismanagement, primarily the poor. That's why you get so much discomfort in the South African situation. You know, if you put a lot of rats in a cage, and we use rats a lot as human beings because they're closer to us than we think. You put a lot of rats in a cage and you limit the resources, they will eat each other, they will kill each other. But if you put few rats in the cage and you put plenty of resources, they'll be quite happy and they'll get on really well. When you have a combination of your debt going up and your economy contracting, the rats, i.e. us, have less resources and we start complaining about a lot of things and start getting occupied by things that really don't matter. But when the resources start growing, that all changes. So when you have economic growth, this country will start clicking into gear and we'll all be a whole lot happier. It's just a normal thing. You, being aware that Taffy hits the tar, will be happier than most. And the new president gets this. The old president didn't. The old president was steering the country towards Zimbabwe. The new president says, we need to get economic growth. We need to get into a road that is going to put more resources into this cage called South Africa so that we can then all stop fighting amongst ourselves and start pulling together. One final point, just to emphasize it. Every year I go to the World Economic Forum in Davos. I've been doing it for the last 15 years. It's a, it's a, a wonderful experience. 
Because by going there every year, you get a feeling of where the global trends are going. The World Economic Forum is an organization that brings together 3,000 people, half of them from business, chairman and chief executives of the top 1,000 countries. The other half come many political leaders. Donald Trump was there this year, uh, the Prime Minister of India. South Africa always sends a very strong delegation. Uh, Theresa May, Angela Merkel, etc. Uh, they would all congregate there, and then you would have smattering of media people and uh, some people from the NGOs. Uh, Bishop Tutu has been there a number of times as well. And they get together and they talk about essentially the economic agenda of the next year. As you know, if you swap stories, you get to understand what other people are thinking about, and by understanding where the world is going, you kind of set the agenda. And one of the opening events that I try to get to is Edelman's, which is a New York reputation management firm, probably the biggest in the world. They interview 33,000 people in 28 countries. And they ask those people, what is the trust that you have in your government, in business, in media, and in NGOs? And this is a, a graph which shows where South Africa was in October last year. Its population trusted only 14%, 1-4% of the population trusted the government, according to Edelman's. On the worst side of the scale. So here you have an, a mismanaged economy, unemployment growing, things are getting tight, the government's untrusted, things are really looking pretty gloomy, and if you'd asked me to talk to you last year, I would have declined. Because you don't want to start showing these numbers in an environment where, as an entrepreneur, if you do not have that optimistic gene, as I know from a personal experience, then what's the point? However, lucky number 18, we were in Cape Town yesterday on the 18th, 2018, and it rained. On the 18th of July, Nelson Mandela, a hundred years ago, Nelson Mandela was born. And on the 18th of December, South Africa's world changed. The Jewish people in Hebrew, 18 is called Chaya, the number of life. You know, if you, you know a Jewish person, you wish them long life. On the 18th of December, 90 people at Nazareth, out of 4,700 who voted, decided to vote for their children's future rather than their own pockets. They decided, 90 people was the difference. They decided to reject a continuation of a dynasty of mismanagement by the Zuma family and to bring in somebody who thinks differently, who was intimately involved in the National Development Plan, who has an understanding of how economies work and who is completely committed to growing this economy, and he knows how to do it. The international markets reacted immediately to this. The South African RAND has appreciated by 20% since Cyril Ramaphosa was made president of the ANC. That means every one of you, if you take your asset base, has improved in global terms by 20%, one-fifth. Everybody in South Africa has a one-fifth improvement 
in what they are now worth in global terms. And the reason for this is that the international community looks at what happened in South Africa and they say, hang on a minute, that polecat that we had nothing to do with in the past, suddenly we're pretty interested in it. Suddenly, it's a country worth reconsidering. Just before we went to Davos in, the, in January this year, Goldman Sachs, which is the most influential company on Wall Street. Now, now get the picture. South Africa is a cork in the ocean. It's one half of 1% of global economy, of the global economy. It's 175th of the United States economy. If we were an American state, we would be just below Indiana in position 19 and just above Maryland. So we're small. We're a price taker. And on top of that, we have half of this economy is either imports or exports. So the rest of the world does matter. As a developing country, we need capital to grow. We can't fund it internally. We tried it. We tried it in 1985, and there was a debt standstill, and there was 25% interest rates. We tried it again after the emerging market crisis, and the economy contracted badly then as well. This country needs international capital. It is small. It can get blown around by the winds. So when Goldman Sachs, just ahead of this huge conference where all the investors go, puts out a report looking at the top emerging market destinations for 2018, it decides, after Ramaphosa's election and the way that South Africa's economic policy will be moving, it decides to make South Africa the polecat the most favoured investment destination among emerging markets for 2018. That is an extraordinary turnaround. Again, Ramaphosa earlier this week said, 10 years ago, there was 76 billion investment into South Africa by foreigners. Last year, it was 17.6. From 76 to 17.6. Now remember, if you want to grow the economy, you've got to get that money in, and what's been happening, it's been going the other way. But Goldman Sachs says, wait a minute, guys. This is something to watch. At the World Economic Forum every year, the President of South Africa gets the opportunity to state his case. And foreign investors come along to hear, as they do with most of the other countries, what the President is saying in offering their country as an investment destination. Over the past few years, in fact, ever since 2010, when we had the FIFA World Cup, uh, at this meeting where the President of South Africa puts his case has been uh, pretty poorly attended by international people. Oh, the South Africans are there, you know, you know we're very patriotic and wave the flags and wear our scarves. But the rest of the world, not interested. And you can see that in the number uh, that Cyril spoke about last week. This year, it was different. I didn't go into this. I'm not allowed into this. This is an off-the-record, a private conversation between international investors and the president. But Greg Cheadle, who's a photographer from Cape Town, they haven't got enough photographers, or not enough good photographers, in Europe, so they bring Greg over to take pictures at the World Economic Forum. He goes there, sworn to secrecy from this meeting, he takes a picture, he took this picture for us, but he did say to me, 
full house, great reception of Cyril Ramaphosa. So of course, now I'm pretty interested, as any journalist would be, on why or what they said. That's, that's uh, uh, the picture of, of, of that meeting. And it seems as though Jonathan Shapiro, who has been rated by many people around the world as the best cartoonist on earth, he's been to Davos a number of times, he sums it up best with this cartoon or this illustration where he talks about the Cyril Spring. Just think for a minute. You've got a country that no one was interested in. And then now there's just too many people in the room looking for investments. You've got a country that no one's interested in and Goldman Sachs, which tips pretty well the hottest investment destination, makes it number one and sends it out to all its clients. Goldman Sachs' credibility is on the line. Zapiro dubbed it the Cyril Spring. And a Cyril Spring it is indeed. On the Wednesday evening at the World Economic Forum, Brand South Africa always has an event where we are asked as members of the South African delegation to bring foreign guests with us. For many years, I haven't had any takers. But this year, I was approached by a consultant in London to say, would you please take the MD of a very big London bank as your guest? They haven't met him before, but he was a client of the consultants. And he came with me, and it was, it, it was a remarkable experience to see it through his eyes. As we sat down there, and there were many foreigners in the audience, they had to bring in extra tables, extra chairs, which in past years wasn't the case. In past years it was just like 99.9% .9 South Africans and maybe a couple of hangers-on who also found Switzerland expensive, so wanted the free meal, which by the way we did too. And Ramaphosa went to the front. He had many other invitations. There's many competing uh, events in this week at the World Economic Forum. Various countries will, will hold their dinners that night, but obviously he was there with us. And there was a long table going down the room, and the cameras were ready to, to record his speech in the, in the old way where, uh, as we've seen in States of the Nation in the past, when it was done honorously and read from a script. This time around, there was no script. He picked up the microphone, walked to the middle of the table, he started talking. For 35 minutes, he started talking. And he told us, those who were privileged enough to be there, and I put my, my phone on, uh, incidentally, so it's on business, the whole, the whole speech is there, the whole 35 minutes is there. And he told us that when he was talking to the investors the day before, he gave them just three messages. Kept it simple. He said, message one, we will, address, attack, and beat corruption. I heard from another source within the, the, the ANC in, uh, in a, the organization that there's a list of 150 names of those who have been targeted or been, been uh, identified as targets for the next step, which is jail. 
And we think back to South Africa and we go, come on, this is crazy. I mean, who, what, these guys are going to go to jail? Well, I'll urge you to look to the west, to Brazil, where they have something called Operation Car Wash. It's been going on for some years now, where 120 business people, including the chairman of the biggest construction company in South America, are today in jail. And Sunday, a week ago, the man who was the most popular politician in the world, Lula da Silva. He was described as such in 2009 by Barack Obama. The most popular politician in the world, the former president of Brazil, went to start his 12-year jail term. Sunday, two weeks ago. Corruption is something that is like a cancer in a society. The Brazilians understand that, South Africa understands that too. Ramaphosa tells the international community that's one of our priorities. Second priority, state-owned enterprises. Just before the World Economic Forum, the whole board of Eskom was replaced, and one of the uh, leading businessmen, Jabu Mabusa, was installed as chairman, and if you have a look at the board of directors there, you'll see that there's a very competent people, because that's what Ramaphosa says the country needs. Having been in the a situation at, at uh, the National Development Plan. He says if we're going to get this thing going and get the economy going, we've got to have the right people in the right places. Only last week we had this, the board of Donnell being completely replaced as well. SAA has been replaced. SABC has been replaced. And so on and so forth. The strategy here, get the state-owned enterprises right, says Ramaphosa. And the third thing, is policy certainty. Now, if you're a foreign investor and you want to put money anywhere, in fact, if you're just any investor, you don't go to a place where they change the rules. If you have a partner, because a country is a partner with a foreign investor, they want to have certainty on what's happening. I'll point you to the MP Mineral and Petroleum, Mineral Resources Petroleum Development Act. What's that? MRPDA which was changed this way and that way, as more of the, the insiders wanted a little bigger cut. And as a consequence of all this fiddling around, South Africa has got the fourth richest shale gas reserve on Earth. They're in the Peru. They're sitting there. This is from the International Energy Agency. They said they're there. And how do we know they're there? Because during the apartheid era, Sukor pockmarked the whole of the Karoo to try and find oil. Those days, gas was worthless, so they said, ah, yeah, And they hit these, these, put these, these exploration drills in, and up would come gas. Worthless, useless, where's the oil, where's the oil? They never found oil. But they kept the record of what they did find. Shell allocated $25 million to do its exploration in this hugely valuable shale gas area. Shale gas only started becoming valuable when the Americans discovered a way of converting it into oil in 2009. Today, America is an oil exporter. Today, America no longer builds aircraft carriers. Why? What's it going to do with oil exports? Well, they don't have to protect the Middle East anymore. They stopped building aircraft carriers a few years ago. They export oil because of their shale gas reserves. South Africa has shale gas reserves to burn proportionately far, far greater than that of the United States' size of the economy. This is a little bit bigger in absolute terms. But nothing's happened there 
25 million that, uh, that dollars that uh, Shell was going to spend stopped because the, the legislation was all over the place. Qatar was drilling off the east coast of KZN for oil, trying to find stuff. Couldn't, couldn't see what the purpose was with the MRPDA changing. Eventually they, they got so greedy, these corrupt people, that they said not only do you have a 20% carry, but if we decide to buy you back, the government, i.e. politically influential people, we can buy up to 80% of your business at our price, effectively. Now what investor in their right mind is going to do that? Ramaphosa says that's the past, that's history. We have the most admired renewable energy scheme on earth. When you go around the world, people talk about, hey, oh, South Africa, yeah, you've got the renewable energy story. And it's been put on ice for the past year because the old government wanted to do a deal with Russia to bring in a trillion rands worth of nuclear plants that we don't need, are too expensive, but we're going to make a lot of people rich. And I guess, you know, a scary guy like Putin uh, wouldn't make him too cross either. And the reality of that is it would have bankrupted not just this generation, but the next generation and the one to follow. A trillion rand they were going to spend on it. Money this country doesn't have. Ramaphosa told us, we don't have the money, we have too much energy, electricity, that's off the table. But three days after Jeff Khadebe and his new cabinet was appointed as Minister of Energy, he signed off the renewable energy deal. That's starting to kick back into place, policy certainty. When we got to the end of the World Economic Forum, I spoke, I spoke to a few members of the South African delegation, including this guy who's got a really nice would-be tie. They said to Khadiakot, the governor of the Reserve Bank, and I said, what's it been like this year relative to last year? And Lissette said, you can't believe it. Last year, I only got meetings because people were polite. They were being nice to me. He said, this year, I couldn't keep up. They all wanted a piece of me. Now, that's relevant because as the governor of the South African Reserve Bank in a country with exchange control, if you want to bring money in, you've got to know how you're going to get it out. Ramaphosa, at that dinner, said he'd been bump he bumped into Emmanuel Ngagwa, President of Zimbabwe, who's also throwing out the old rule book and bringing in a whole new one, like Trevor, Trevor Norris says. You know, Zimbabwe was really going in a crazy direction, but bringing them back on track. He said he can't believe it. He had 17 meetings. This was by late afternoon. I've had 17 meetings, he tells Cyril, and I've got another seven to do with foreign investors. Why is anyone reacting like this? It's beyond my dreams. Ramaphosa told us he didn't have the heart to say to the Zimbabwean president, well, I already had 20 meetings by that stage with another 10 to come that day. These are extraordinary times. Rob Davies, Minister of Trade and Industry. I asked a question at a press conference. He felt he hadn't answered it properly. He came and chatted afterwards. He said, well, let me put it to you this way. Last year, when I came to the World Economic Forum, the only people who came to see me were the people who were grumpy, who had investments in South Africa, and actually wanted to take their money out, but couldn't. So they wanted to shout at somebody, and they complained to me. He said, this year, I've had a full diary of people who either want to expand their investments or invest new. This is extraordinary. It's the big stuff. Often when we have our heads down, we don't really understand that. 
the scale of what's happened here. Of course, the problem in all of this is that you do have a 50 billion rand hole that was, SARS did not uh, get last year and taxes just kind of went away. So it's nice to know that you've got international investors interested in South Africa, but, but what do you do about it? Ramaphosa takes over, does his state of the nation address, gets us all excited and then comes the budget. Which by the way, he got somebody out there as a fall guy to do the work. But he, he definitely, his fingerprints were all over it. And he looks at the budget and he says, we've got a problem here. You see where that arrow is? You don't want to be on the right hand side. This is South Africa's budget deficit. So you can't now get a bigger budget deficit. You get a, in economic terms, that's a problem. You also can't jack up the personal income tax rate, because you can see where South Africa is. We're near the top on what is called the marginal income tax rate. In other words, the top tax rate, which is 45% in this country. So what do you do? You, you, you slaughter the holy cow. Only he could do it with his negotiating skills. VAT was a no-go area, but VAT had to be increased to prop up or to plug this hole. Temporarily, the second plug is going to come from the economic growth. And he managed to do it. He pulled it off. VAT is not going to increase in the new South Africa. 1993 was the last time. Business reacted very positively. On the far right-hand side, this is the business confidence index that is put together by the BER. There's another one that's done by a bank, which is even more impressive, that came out this week. But I like this one, it's been going for many, many years. And it shows that in the fourth quarter of last year, the business confidence index was up 11 points, which is a, one of the biggest increases that we have seen in a long time. Business has also come to the party through something called the Youth Employment Service. This will create a million jobs over the next three years by bringing in people between the ages of 18 and 35 to work in businesses where they'll be paid three and a half thousand rand retainer, it'll be, it'll be a third each year, so three thirty thousand per year, to give them a taste of what the job market is like so that they can thereon, thereafter, get jobs elsewhere. I have personal experience of this. Moma Pula, uh, a young guy who came and worked with us at Business, BA graduate from WITS, mad team soccer writer, I mean, business soccer, mm. Anyway, we gave him a, a, he was funded, he was sponsored, and he came and worked with us for a year. Uh, he'd never had a job before. His parents had never had a job before. After he'd been with us for a year, he had job experience, he now is a producer on Power FM. He wouldn't have got in, he wouldn't have got through the door before. Sometimes all you need is just to open that door. Why is business important? Well, business has got a trillion rand in cash on balance sheets in South Africa. A trillion rand. You switch that on, Happy days. Back in November last year, Moody's told us that it was going to join the other two ratings agencies and make South Africa jump. Why was that important? Well, there are three major rating agencies. There they are. S&P, Fitch, and Moody's. If you look at that table, you'll see in green is what we call investment grade, and red is junk. Now, if all three ratings agencies rates a country junk, then there are many investors around the world who've got to stop, who are forced to stop investing in that country's debt, which means no one's buying your debt or fewer people are buying your debt. Interest rates go up, 
which means people in this country pay more for their home loans, pay more on their bonds, fewer of them, fewer of them come and eat in one piece. Because it is a reversal. Those of you who are older will recall that when interest rates went to 25% and we had a contraction of the economy, we had businesses going out of business at a rapid rate. That's what happens. In November last year, Moody's put South Africa on notice. If we're coming back in three months, we are putting you on a negative watch, and in three months' time, a negative watch means we're going to downgrade you to junk. But they knew it was quite important, so they didn't want to act too quickly. It was important because the other two ratings agencies had already put South Africa into junk. On the 24th of March, Moody's came back. Remember? November. Then we had the 18th of December, the change in the political direction. 24th of March, Moody's came back and said, we're not going to take you to junk. Thank goodness, home loans aren't increased. Turnover isn't dropped at the Wimpies. In fact, we're going to change the outlook from negative to stable. The next story, and the reason I said that, was because we now have political management which is more transparent and predictable under the new President Ramaphosa. I hope you're starting to get the picture. This is not local people who've been paid to say nice things, not bongis who are walking the streets paid by some fool who, who, who says we have a good story to tell when actually we've got a really bad story to tell. We now have a really good story to tell these international people who are giving us those insights. We have a similar situation coming from SCP. They will be giving us their update on the 25th of May. And although they are two rate, we, we, we well into junk there with two notches, it wouldn't surprise me to see one of those notches being clawed back. Usually it takes a country over a decade once they go to junk to get back into investment grade. So that we're still in investment grade by the skin of its teeth or by the votes of 90 people in December. The International Monetary Fund this week, yesterday, at Davos, I asked them, they gave us, they were, this was one of the few countries in the world when the, when the International Monetary Fund upgraded its ratings to say what's going to happen to the global economy this year. South Africa was one of the few countries that they marked down in January. And I said to the chief economist, haven't you been awake? Don't you see what's happening in South Africa? Shouldn't you reassess this? He said, no, we, we'll consider it. We'll look at it in our good time. Well, this week, they did. They took the forecast for the country from 0.9% to 1.5%. That is a huge difference when it comes to economic growth. It's not enough, but it certainly is moving in the right direction. We have a new finance minister, National Euro, Nkwantla Nene. Remember Nene Gates? The man who stood up and said, I will not sign off this nuclear deal, Mr. President Zuma. And he got fired for it. And we had the grand collapsing and Provan Gord, well, the weekend special came in for two days. And then, <laughs> and then back came Gordon. Nene reappointed as finance minister. Now, when you've done that in a global community, people, people respect you, people remember that. And the global community owns, has the, the secret to this. Two days ago, on his, on his way to the Commonwealth Conference, South Africa's president unveiled his grand plan, or at least part of it. He knows we need economic growth, so that, like rats, we stop fighting each other. He knows that that's going to come through foreign investment. So he picks four people, 
Trevor Manuel is one of the most respected South Africans on earth, also had no part of the whole Zuma mess. Jacko Marie, the chief executive of Standard Bank, who engineered the biggest foreign investment into South Africa through ICBC, the Chinese bank that owns 20% of Standard Bank. Nsebisi Jonas, another national hero, who told the Guptas, keep your 600 million, I'm not going to join you and do your bidding. And a low profile but very highly respected businesswoman, Pumzele Langemi. And he's got the four of them and he's sending them out to the world to go and talk to foreign investors to say, in five years we need $100 billion invested into South Africa. From $17 billion last year to $100 billion Dollars from 17 billion rand into about 20 billion dollars, a little bit of calculation at 12 means 240 billion. You see the numbers, you see the game, you see the ideals, you see the, see the excitement. Sometimes these things baffle us, they confuse us. We need to get out, we need to understand that if you're ahead of the game, fortune always favours the brave. If you're in a wood, in a forest, it is sometimes impossible to understand what's happening around you. But if you are able to take that helicopter view, if you are able to listen to the messages in the wind, if you are able to hear what Jacques was saying this morning about turnovers this year, and you'll see it in your own operation. Then you can understand that this country's future is a whole lot different to the country's past. It's not to say there aren't challenges. Don't let anybody kid you. Of course there are challenges. But it's like a, a very good friend of mine who's a leading banker and knows these things. The way he put it, he said, South Africa is like a car that went off the cliff and the two wheels were over and it's now reversed back to safety and it's turning around to drive in the correct direction. I thank you.